0: also please remember to pray for them throughout the week so we're going to continue with romans and we're in romans 14 so if you want to turn in your bibles to romans 14 we're in verses 13 through 23 today romans 14 13 through 23 if you remember last sunday's message we began to talk about these conscience issues if you remember romans chapter 14 verse 1 paul said ask for the one who is weak in faith welcome him But not to quarrel over opinions. And by weak in faith, he means not weak in necessarily their faith, but weak in certain issues. And if you recall, which I'll remind you of probably in a little bit, it seems like the issues were conscious issues where some felt they were free to eat the meat from food sacrificed to idols, not in the idols' temple, but in the marketplace. And others thought, no, 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 they can't touch it, so they'll eat only vegetables. And as we see in this passage, some even felt that they should abstain from the wine that was used in the idol's temple. And others thought, no, I'm not in the idol's temple, I'm free. And Paul was saying, welcome each other, love each other, let's not separate over conscious issues. And if you recall, some even got into arguing over days Like uh, it could have to do with the Jewish days that some thought they needed to follow and others thought they were free. And again, Paul said, don't argue, don't divide, don't uh, destroy each other, destroy relationships for conscience issues. And we parked a little bit on that with applications last week. And we're going to continue today. And today he deals with stumbling blocks. Do not cause another to stumble. And we're going to start on verse 13 in a minute. But by way of introduction, I brought one of my favorite t-shirts here. It says... Tough Mudder 2018, and I referenced this last night in the summer, in this sermon, in the sermon, and then afterwards, Mercedes said, you're wearing that shirt, because as soon as I get home, I put on something comfortable, like a t-shirt, and if you notice, it says half, half Tough Mudder, so I don't want to brag, if I was going to brag, I'd have a full Tough Mudder, but I can't, because I never finished the Tough Mudder. It was summer 2018, and my brother, my younger brother, invited me to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minnesota, they get a lot of snow up there. Um, they got like 100 inches in one month a few years ago, and it got to negative 52 below zero. Anyways, Minnesota, but it was not that cold then. It was late July or mid-July, mid-July, and it was hot. And he invited me to do a Tough Mudder with him. How many of you know about the Tough Mudder competitions? How many of you have actually competed in a Tough Mudder? I know Sam has. Anyone else? Morgan was about to raise her hand, but you, maybe later, Morgan. Anyways, Tough mutter. the one I was going to do was supposed to be 10 miles. Yes, I said I didn't finish it, so it got to be 5 miles. I'm going to tell you why. And it's a mud competition where basically, it's called mudder, right? Where you commit, you, you know, usually in 10Ks, 5Ks, marathons, half marathons, you compete on streets and it's clean and it's nice and people are respectful and all that. Not in Tough mutters. People are respectful, but the goal is to be in mud. And so you have all these obstacles, something like 20 obstacles. And you go from obstacle to obstacle, somewhat running, somewhat walking in between. In fact, I was running to prepare, and my younger brother really didn't. He said, well, i talk talked to people. They just walk in between the obstacles. And I'm like, it's still 10 miles. But he was right. They take like four hours to go through this. And so right as I'm at the starting line, Now, I thought we were going to start at like 6.30 a.m. No, it was like 11.30 a.m. by the time my team got to start. And we're there because they have to stagger the start because everybody goes slow. And so we're there, and I'm about to start, and I thought, it's a mud competition. I'm going to wear my old running shoes. That was a big mistake. I'm at the starting line. I look down at my... I think right, Jim's shoe, and the toe is split open of the shoe. And I thought, oh, no, this isn't good. So I ask around. Nobody had duct tape because duct tape fixes everything, right? And nobody had duct tape. And so I tie the shoelace around the toe, And I go through the first obstacle, climb through something and something insane. And I get to the second obstacle and it's like a 10, 12, 15 foot wall. And you're supposed to work in teams and climb over the wall, but you have to kind of get a running start, especially me, because I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not that tall. And so you're supposed to kind of run and get a jump to a peg and then pull yourself up. And so I take a running jump and my toe goes into the wall which would have been okay except the shoelace had come undone and the toe goes literally right into the wall. I make it over the wall and I felt a little different and I realized that my toe was likely broken. We found out later it was. We posted on Facebook and Lisa Fink said you need a tow truck. And, um, <laughs> and uh, thank you, Lisa. So I keep trying to finish these competitions and there's one where you are pretty much swimming in mud or crawling in mud, like two feet deep mud, with barbed wire above your head. And as I'm doing that, mud splashes in my eye which wouldn't be good, but I so was wearing contacts, so it was even worse. So I get to the end, I should have taken those out, so I get to the end and my brother's pull, saying, here, grab my hand, we got to keep going. I'm like, I can't even see your hand. And I get out of there and I go through another competition or two and I'm looking around, my eye is burning and I, there's no clean water, you know, and you're supposed to clean your hands before you pull contacts out. Finally, somebody had a bottle of water and so I grab it and rinse off my hands and just pull it out throw the contact lens down it's it's still down there for someone to archaeologically dig up that contact lens someday that was good money so at the five mile point at this tough mutter, you go past the starting line and you do the obstacles over again except they add a few obstacles for the second half And one of the obstacles they add is an ice water thing. You slide down into ice water. And another one is a certain competition where you slide into water and it electrocutes you. One of the people on our team was pretty fit and he was doing great with all the obstacles. But for a job, this guy was an electrician. That was the only obstacle he wouldn't do. But I didn't get to there. At mile five, we go past the starting line and I said, I'm done. And that's why I have a half Tough Mudder t-shirt and not the full. Because with my eye burning and my toe throbbing, uh, I'm done with this Tough Mudder. My brother is crazy. He's done two more competitions, Tough Mudders. And I, thought, I learned my lesson. Now, what I described to you. Now, why do I go on and on talking about Tough Mudder? What I described to you was a competition in which I experienced multiple stumbling blocks. I mean, this is a competition, the Tough mutter, in which they purposefully put stumbling blocks in the path of those in the competition. They want you to almost trip and fall and get electrocuted and get frozen and whatever else. For me, these, co- these stumbling blocks caused me to exit the competition before the finish line. But in today's passage, the Apostle Paul will exhort the Christians not to cause a stumbling block in another Christian. In the Christian life, we don't want to put stumbling blocks in front of other people. In the tough matter, you want to. I mean, you work as a team and you want to help them, but the, the people designing it, they want the stumbling blocks. But that's not for the Christian life. And in the passage we're going to look at, Paul is exhorting them don't cause another believer to stumble, not over trivial things. And that's my theme today. Do not cause another to stumble. And we're going to see that in verses 13 through 15. So Romans 14, Paul began to talk about conscience issues. I already reviewed that. Uh, Last week we talked about that. And we talked a little bit about the issues at stake. So in verses 13 through 15, I'm going to go right to the text now. In Romans 14, verses 13 through 15, this is what Paul says. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Notice here, Paul says, therefore, and hopefully you've heard me say it, maybe others. Whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you need to see what it's there for. He's making an inference, an application. You know, in verse 12, he had said, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And he's been talking about these conscience issues. And each of himself is going to have to stand before God as the almighty judge. And now he's about to make this application, this inference, let us not pass judgment on one another. Notice how he says, let us. And this is including himself. He's including himself. We are not to pass judgment on one another. Now, let let me remind you, this is dealing with conscience issues. This is not dealing with issues where the scripture is very, very, very clear. If someone you know is uh, lying about something or stealing or or being abusive to their spouse. You can go with the word of God, especially if you know them very well, and say, look, you need to straighten this out. You need to stop this. You need to repent. That's different. Then the word of God is a judge. What we are dealing with are conscience issues. It's different. Paul says, we are also not to put a hindrance in the way of another, not to put a stumbling block. Hindrance, stumbling block, those are similar, similar terms. So what is a stumbling block? Obviously, that would be something that makes a person stumble, right? I have ran many nights after dark and many mornings when it's still dark before sunrise. There have been at least a handful of times that I have stumbled on uneven sidewalks. Praise God, there's only been a few times in which I have not caught myself and actually hit the pavement. The sidewalk on North Lima is particularly bad just for your knowledge. Right, Elaine? You know, you walk it every day. These, those are stumbling blocks, right? They come in the way. We don't want that to happen. We don't want to stumble. We do not want to cause somebody else to stumble. And in, you know, we do not want to hinder their faith. We do not want to put an obstacle in another's faith. A hindrance could be translated as an obstacle, a stumbling block, or, or, or even a snare. A few weeks ago, we had a great, great, great um, men's cookout at john raymond's son mike raymond's house and he has a lake there and we were fishing i took mercedes Abigail, fishing there with his permission of course and and they're fishing and they caught a few bass a few bluegill, some other fish but at one point mercedes was quickly like i got one i got one she didn't have a fish she had a rock That would be a snare, right? That would be an obstacle. We don't want to put rocks in the path of other Christians. We don't want to put these hindrances, these snares, these stumbling blocks, not over conscience issues. These are trivial matters. That's what we're dealing with here. You know, Steve just talked about praying for the worship team. And, you know, it's amazing how our fallen sinful nature, in addition to the devil and his minions, tries to divide the church. Over something as sacred as worship, and that's why we need prayer over that. But also, many times, very trivial matters. Decorations and temperatures and uh, settings and, and many, many, many other things. I mean, think about it right now with worship. God has gifted us in the 21st century American church with many, 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 many great worship songs. And in a way, that's awesome, right? It's more stressful for the worship leaders to pick out songs. I mean, if it was 200 years ago, we might have one little hymn book, you know, and only half of it we might be able to sing. And so you might have like, I don't know, 100 choices. But now we try, Steve tries to pull and prayerfully being led by the Spirit from many different song books and things like that. That's a blessing. But it's also become because that's what the devil wants to do, to divide us. We don't want to stumble over things that ultimately God could be saying, I'm happy with all those songs for you to worship me with. And in this case, certainly what he's talking about are conscious issues of food and things like that. Paul said something similar to this in 1 Corinthians 8, 13. So in verse 14, Romans 14, 14, Paul shares truth. He shares strong truth. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. None of the food is unclean in itself. Not anymore. God had made all the food clean. He says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. He's telling them, if your conscience is saying it's unclean, it's unclean. Don't eat it. Don't argue about it. Let it go. The food is technically clean. However, if someone thinks it is unclean, then for them it is a conscious issue which they must take seriously. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, Paul builds on this. Later in verse 20 of this same chapter, Paul will explain more of why this matters. In verse 15, Paul starts the why question, which we will continue into the next point. Look at verse 15 now again. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So somebody else is grieved. You're not walking in love. We do not want to destroy a relationship. We do not want to harm someone's faith. If we flaunt our freedom, then we are harming someone's faith. And Christ died for that person. Now, I'm going to say this again, but let me say it now. I don't think the Apostle Paul is telling them, you have the freedom to eat that meat. But if one person is offended, never eat it again. I think he is saying, he's using a little bit of what's called hyperbole, exaggeration. I think he's saying, don't knowingly offend somebody. When you're in front of them, respect them. When you're around them, respect them. If you're in the privacy of your own home, then do what you feel free to do with respect to that, not with respect to other things. So in verses 16 through 18, he says, remember love. Look at verses 16 through 18. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. It seems now Paul is exhorting them to move beyond these things. Do not let what is spoken of as good. What would that be? That would be the meat that some are offended by. That meat is clean. God made all things clean. But he says, don't let that be spoken of as evil. Why would that be? It would be spoken of as evil because it harms a relationship. Now something clean is being used for bad. Further, the other person's conscience considers the meat as evil. In verse 17, Paul says the kingdom of God is way more than that. Paul shares what the kingdom of God is not. And then he shares what the kingdom of God is. What is the kingdom of God? I like what one person defined the kingdom of God. Uh, The kingdom of God is God's people. In God's place, under God's universal ruler, King Jesus, whose unique earthly ministry announces the already inaugurated but not yet consummated kingdom of God, heaven. So we, you know, all, all through the Gospels, we see Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. He gives us the down payment of the Holy Spirit, right? There's miracles and things like that that Jesus did, that the apostles did, that still happen today, and that's showing the kingdom of God is inaugurated. Jesus brought the kingdom of God to us, but we're not there yet. Someday we will literally be in the kingdom of God with Jesus physically reigning. It's called the already, but not yet. And right now, Paul says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not what they are arguing over. The kingdom of God is about righteousness. That means pursuing, living God's way and and, and recognizing that Jesus has made us righteous. The kingdom of God is about peace. Paul's been exhorting them to be at peace with one another. Remember Romans 12, 9 and 10, outdo one another in showing love. The kingdom of God is about joy, but the joy is in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, whoever serves Christ, this means whether they eat the meat or not, it is acceptable to him and approved. It is acceptable to God and approved. Paul is saying they're both serving God. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So Paul is telling them both sides are okay in this matter. They're following their conscience. They're okay. Paul is telling them, To let it go. And I do not need to remind you of the Frozen song again. If you have kids or grandkids, especially daughters, you know what I'm talking about. In verses 19 through 23, he says, pursue peace. Look at verses 19 through 23. So then, that's kind of like an application. It's a therefore, it's an inference. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. How many of us are doing that? Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Now now he's starting to repeat himself, right? Paul, you just said this. Look at verse 20. It repeats from verse 14. Uh, Verse 20 I just read, actually. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And now he says, everything is indeed clean. That's repeating himself. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink or wine or, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, he's using a little bit of that hyperbole there, and I'll come back to that. He says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So verse 19 encapsulates this whole argument. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's the whole argument of this chapter. Pursue what makes for peace. Pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding. How many of us are doing that? Pursuing what makes for peace. How many of us are doing that? Paul then gives more detail about how to pursue peace. He gets more practical. Pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding. How are we doing with this? Are we overly critical of others? Are we trying to build one another up? In verse 20, Paul gives the truth again. Everything is clean. Again, he said that in verse 14. He said in verse 14, he knows and is persuaded by God, everything is clean. And then he says, do not. And this is a command in verse 21. Uh, 1 or 22, no, 20. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats for the sake of food. In other words, there are more important matters for ch- to champion, right? Look at the rest. For the sake of food, do not destroy the work of God. God is at work. And when we argue and separate over conscience issues, we are hurting what God is doing. Now we're gonna come back with some applications that'll get really practical about this because we are still arguing and separating separating over conscious issues when God is at work. Even though it is clean, it's wrong to make someone stumble. I wanna park on this verse just for a moment. I think, again, Paul is using a little bit of hyperbole, a little bit of exaggeration here. I, I think the point is it's wrong to knowingly make someone stumble. I have two masks up here. I had lost this one, and I had to go to a hospital. Unfortunately, I had this one in my car. I didn't go to a, I just went in a hospital to— to um, get blood tested. It wasn't a serious thing. Anyways, and I thought, oh, no, I need a mask, right? Now, why would I pull this mask out right now? Because I think right now this has been such a controversial issue, right? I mean, this, this application is very practical. It's, a, in a way, a conscious issue. You now, Some people are persuaded that it's an always issue, And I'm not going to argue with that. Others are persuaded. It's a never, never issue. Never wear a mask. And there's both sides, probably even right here in the church. And I think that we can take this same um, principle and apply it to things like this. And I'll use myself as an example. If I'm around someone and I see they're wearing a mask, I don't have a problem wearing it for the sake of the person, You know, I was meeting with somebody just last week and they were wearing a mask and they said, you don't have to. It's fine. You know, I just am because, you know, family want me to because I'm um, going through treatments for something. And I said, no, it's okay. I don't have breathing issues that this is going to restrict. I'm for the sake of to respect. I'll wear it. It's not a big deal. And I think that is the principle here. Now, I don't think. Say that you're a person here, or say that I'm a person. I'll use myself as an example still. Say that I don't believe I need to wear the mask all the time. That means I don't think I need to go around feeling like I'm going to offend someone everywhere I go. So I have to wear the mask just in case I might offend someone. No, I think the point Paul is making is we ought not to knowingly offend someone. That means if we see someone and they're coming close to us, maybe we're at the grocery store and we're not wearing a mask. Nobody's around us. You know, we got like 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet. Pick your number Being between us and the person furthest from us. So we're not wearing the mask. But if someone comes close to us, we see them wearing a mask, if you can, some people have medical issues and they really can't wear a mask. I'm not talking about that here. If you can, you put it on to respect them. I think that's the principle right here. I think that's the principle. Now, some people – now, here's an issue that was very controversial in the church like 40 years ago. It's not as controversial now would be the issue of alcohol. Some people thought, okay, you know – um, I don't struggle with alcohol. That's them, not me. I don't struggle with alcohol, but that's them. I'm not going to use myself as an example. But, what, but we don't want to make anyone stumble. So they will never, ever, ever touch alcohol. And I don't think the that's the principle here. And the principle here is, you know, you don't want to be a knowing stumbling block. That means if you feel free to drink in moderation, you're not, you're not, you know, you don't abuse a substance. You feel free to drink in moderation. You drink in the privacy of your own home. But if you are around someone who struggles with alcohol, maybe they're an alcoholic, you don't touch a substance in front of them. You don't talk about it, you don't buy it, you don't drink in front of them, because then you are being a stumbling block, okay? Now, I've heard people take this to the limit, to the infinity limit, you know? And they'll say, but what if you are buying a bottle of wine and you're at the checkout counter and that cashier struggles with alcohol? I don't think that's the principle Paul has in mind here. I think the principle is we are not to knowingly make someone stumble. We need to respect and love one another. That is the principle at stake here. And that's what I wanted to press on for a moment. So verse 21 goes into more detail. If meat is a stumbling block or wine or anything, don't partake. Don't partake around them. Don't partake in front of them. That's the point. And I heard this illustration. Think about it. We willingly alter our pace of walking when you're walking with a small child, don't we? I mean, think about it. If you're walking with a three-year-old child, and you're holding their hand because you're walking down the street, and if you don't know it, I'll just tell you, three-year-old children can get away pretty quick. You're holding their hand. You're holding their hand tight, right? And you walk slower. It would not be right to be walking at your normal pace, if your normal pace is fast, with a three-year-old, dragging them along. No, you don't, you don't do that unless you're mad at them. You don't do that, right? Right? And likewise, this person shared is the same principle here. Out of respect and love, we change what we do around certain people. Now, when you're not with your three-year-old child, you're late for a meeting or you're going through the grocery and you're in a hurry, you're not walking with them. You walk as fast as you want. Maybe you run down the aisle so you can get what you want and get out of there. But when you're with the child you alter your pace, you alter the way you do things for the sake of the child. And that's the same principle here. That's the same thing going on here. Verse 22 is interesting. The faith you keep. Look at look at verse 22 again. He says in verse 22, my pages Blew away. Uh, Verse 22, he says, The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. In other words, if you feel the freedom to eat this meat or drink that wine or whatever, just keep between yourself and God. Don't go flaunting your freedom. Don't go saying, you know, I used to struggle with that meat-sacrificed idols, but God worked on my heart, and he wants to work on your heart too. No, let it go. It's not your job to fix them. That's what Paul's talking about here. Let it go. Sometimes we think we have to fix everyone. I have that problem. I admit it. Um, Verse 23, he says, whatever does not come from faith is sin. In other words, if someone's conscience says it's wrong, they must abstain. Follow their conscience. A little bit like Jiminy Cricket. Is that his name? Um, Let's make some applications, and some of these are review. We must not cause harm over conscience issues. There are bigger issues at stake. We must not be judgmental of another believer over things that the Bible does not clearly condemn. And unfortunately... The church has done that too much in the past. Last week I talked about a different issue. Some of you weren't here last week. I talked about, you know, we've divided over how people dress to church. I know of churches that divided over whether to have a kitchen in the church or not. You know, whether it's okay to have instruments in worship. You know, there's many things that the church has divided over that the church just ought not divide over. If someone does not feel free to eat or drink certain substances, we must respect them. Love them. Let it go. At the same time we must understand that we are not bound by a law. And Romans 14 14 and 20 and 1 Timothy 4.4 and other passages say God made all things clean. We must be walking in love and be less critical. I preach that to myself just like I preach it to you. We must allow the freedom to be spoken of. Um, We must allow... No, I back that one up. We must not allow the freedom... To be spoken of as evil because of our lack of love. If we don't love someone, the freedoms we have are used for evil. We need to love each other. We must seek God's kingdom knowing that God's kingdom is about right living, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Think of that word, peace. And I think we ought to pursue being peacemakers, not dividers, not trying to bring divisions, We must be seeking peace. We must be seeking peace more than discord. How many of us are seeking peace more than discord? Some of us have a critical spirit. We're always critical. We're always negative. And I would encourage you to pray about that and seek the Lord about it. Can we be more loving? And when we mess up, we should go and say, Look, that wasn't loving what I shared. I apologize and I ask for your forgiveness. Philippians 2.14. I was just thinking this morning, I want to blow it up on, on big paper and put it everywhere within the church. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. We'll put it in the bathrooms. We'll put it in front of the doors of the church. We'll put it in the entrance to the fellowship hall. We'll put it on your pews. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. And you should do it at home, too. Not, grum, not grumble and complain. Put it in places, in the kitchen. Everywhere, if you have kids or grandkids that stay with you, we definitely need it. I heard a pastor talking about this, and he put it in the in the stalls of of the, of the horses. They had animals, livestock, and when their kids complained, it was their turn to clean the livestock bins um, stalls. They would he would say, "Do all things without grumbling, complaining. We don't need to complain. We are such a complaining people. We even complain about our excess." I got Mercedes ice cream the other day. She's complaining about the type I got her. I said, if you're going to keep complaining, you're not going to get any ice cream. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Listen, we bring other people down when we're complaining. Sometimes we're not complaining about them. We're just negative Nellies, Debbie Downers. But what do we do? They start complaining too. And then the two of you just keep complaining. We need to stop that. We must be walking by the Spirit. Verse 17, look at Galatians 5, 22, and 23. Verses 19 through 23 seem to be a restatement for emphasis, and that reminds us how important these matters are. These matters are important. We must not destroy the work of God. In other words, because of trivial matters, we must not harm what God is doing in a believer's life. We must obey our conscience so long as it accords with Scripture. Further, we must not cause another person to go against his or her conscience. I serve a church, which is a joy, in a day and age where I know that probably a percentage of you spend five minutes in the Bible every day, if that, and two to three minutes watching the news. Two to three hours, sorry. Two to three minutes might be too much in and of itself, but two to three hours. And I want to tell you, grumbling and complaining, why do we naturally grumble and complain and divide and have discord? Because bad news is more appealing than good news. In last year's Christmas Eve message, I shared from a book called Stop Reading the News about how the news exploits that. Now I'm finishing up a book titled Amusing Ourselves to Death, written in 1985. In 1985, about how the media, going from the written word to the TV, which would be just the TV then, right? I mean, it's prophetic how much it gets into it and how they exploit us. And I want to encourage you, realize time in this word is more powerful and important than time in the mass media of any kind. That just brings discord. That just brings negativity. They exploit that. True story, you probably heard me share it before. Those here Wednesday night probably definitely did because I ended up preaching at Bible study on this for a few minutes. There was a guy at a church, older man, he was retired, so he had some time on his hands. Though I know most retired people tell me they have no time on their hands because you just get busy with lots of things, right? And this guy was dealing with high blood pressure. And the church was trying to help him, trying to counsel him. He was dealing with anxiety and all kinds of things. And then they realized he was watching the news like all day long. They got him to turn off the news. And amazingly, his blood pressure got okay. Think about how you're entertaining yourself and make sure you're spending time in God's word and in prayer and with your church family. And remember that verse. It's not in the notes, so you have to call me if you forget it. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And then Philippians 2.15 says, then we can shine like light. We're called to shine like light, like a city on a hill. We're called to be the salt of the earth. We're not the salt of the earth if we're always complaining and grumbling. This is talking about conscious issues. This is talking about stumbling blocks. Don't place a stumbling block in front of another believer. So I talked to you about the Tough Mudder race, right? And how I quit, so I only got half a t-shirt. Well, the half t-shirt, right? And my brother, as I think I shared, has done like three or four of those crazy, silly races. I prefer to run races without obstacles. I've ran a few 10Ks and 5Ks and twice the Cincinnati Marathon and once the Pittsburgh. I've gained like 50 pounds since I've done those, so I'm not in shape for that anymore. But in those races, there's, you don't have stumbling blocks. The police clear the roads, they close the roads down, you cheer each other on, and you run the race. So in the Christian life, it's supposed to be more like those other races and less like the Tough mutter. In the Christian life, we're supposed to cheer each other on, to encourage one another. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a fast 5K. It's not a fast race. It's a marathon that you walk. And we encourage one another on, love each other, support each other through this as we endeavor to follow the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word right here. As well as your word of Philippians 2.14, that we do all things without grumbling and complaining. Lord God, I pray right now that you'd help all of us as Christians. Help us all to live at peace with one another. As much as we can. We know, Lord God, sometimes there are clearly scriptural issues. Not conscience issues. Clearly scriptural, biblical issues in which we need to reprove somebody, rebuke somebody, even separate. We know that. But, Lord God, at least when we can, when there are conscience issues... May we love one another, support one another, respect one another, and be at peace with one another. And may we, Lord God, cheer one another on. Cheer each other on as we follow you together as a church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.